Today we're going to be turning to the book of Philemon, um, but before we do that, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us, that we are able to worship in here again, and that we will also be able to worship outside again, and we just thank you and praise you, and I pray now that as we look at the book of Philemon, we see what it has for us today in the first, first seven verses here, and as we're talking about forgiveness, and I just pray that you would be with me, help me to preach your truth today, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so as I said, we're turning to the book of Philemon. If you need help, this is just before the book of Hebrews, which is a little bit bigger. It's a very short letter. You can almost think of it as a postcard from the Apostle Paul. And before we really dive into Philemon, which is about forgiveness, as you could tell from the slide, we have to talk about forgiveness in our culture, because in our culture, we don't really prize forgiveness. Uh, actually, we more so prize revenge. And this is no, uh, this is very clearly seen through the movies we watch and the media that we have out there. Think about it. Some of our greatest heroes are called the Avengers, and we love it because they're taking revenge on someone. And we love seeing people take revenge. If you even think about most of the action movies that you watch, most of them are based on taking revenge against someone else. And that's kind of permeated our culture to the point where we love revenge. We love to see people take revenge. And the problem with that is then we think forgiveness is weak, something you can only do when you can't take revenge on someone else. So you are weak to forgive. But when you look at it biblically, God requires forgiveness. And we can see this in Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you get that? You forgive because Christ forgave you. We could also see this in Colossians 3.13, which says, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And you think about that. Those two verses could sum up all of Philemon. Because if you truly understand the forgiveness that Jesus placed on your life, how could you not forgive others? That is, if we truly see the depth of Christ's forgiveness for us, we would not hesitate to extend forgiveness to others. And so, we're going to be taking a look at the first seven verses here in Philemon today, and then we will next week be continuing our study. Let's just read the passage real quick. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And so that is the passage that we are going to be looking at today. And as we look at Philemon, here Paul is writing Philemon, and he's basically asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. That is the premise of the book. So you really have those three characters, Paul, the apostle, hopefully you're familiar with him. Um, you have Philemon, the slave owner, 
Um, and what we know about him is he was likely somewhat rich, um, because in verse 2 we see that the church meets in his house. And it says, uh, the church in your house. So usually the more wealthy members of the church would open their house up for people to meet there, because um, they were usually bigger. I mean, we also know that he owned at least one slave, right? Onesimus, who ran away. And so also he was a slave owner, so he was probably wealthy then. So then you have the last one, who is Onesimus, the runaway slave. And the name Onesimus actually means useful. That's what his name means. And so he was a useful slave. Well, actually, he was a not very useful slave because he ran away. So... Um, but Paul actually does a little wordplay, and we'll look at that next week. But anyways, so his name means useful, and he was probably born into slavery, because that was a name that was given to slaves who were born into slavery. So those are like the three big characters. Before we actually dive into the actual verses, we have to do a little bit of context. And the main context evolves around slavery at the time which can be an uncomfortable subject, but we must have a good understanding of what that looked like to actually understand what's happening in the story. So slavery at the time, and here there were plenty of slaves. Actually, in Rome, it made up one-third of the population, so a huge amount of slaves. And Onesimus would have ran ran away to Rome um, because Rome was very large, and it was... Um, It had a lot of slaves, but it also had a lot of runaway slaves because it was very easy for the runaway slaves to hide from the law or people who were tracking them down. So Rome was already known for this, and it is here in Rome where Onesimus meets Paul, and then he is saved. And we don't know exactly how that happened, but you know we know it was in Rome at some point. Paul found him and saved him. So he ran away, he was unsaved, and He meets Paul, and now he's saved in Rome, and there's a little bit of a dilemma there. So we'll get into that a little bit. But in my reading, it said that in some places there could have been as much as four times more slaves than residents. And there was an island that sold slaves, and it said that they sold 10,000 slaves per day. And it also said that one wealthy Roman could own as much as uh, 20,000 slaves. So slave was a, slaves were a huge part of the Roman culture. Um, and the thing is, they were considered the lowest of the low. You couldn't get any lower than a slave. Um, they were actually considered chattel property. So they were just property to the Roman citizens. Um, they could be bought, they could be sold, they could be given away, or they could even be killed. It was all up to the discretion of the master because they were property. Even with all that said, there was some things going for the slaves during the New Testament era, actually. They could actually purchase their freedom. And between 81 and 49, 500,000 slaves were freed. And then slave owners began to realize that slaves would work better if they were happier. Therefore, they would treat the slaves a little bit better because they wanted them to work better. Um, but slaves were also very skilled, often learning the trade of their master. And actually, most of the working population were slaves. They could be teachers, artists, librarians, and so on and so forth. Whatever it was, whatever the Roman citizens did, they would teach their slaves to do it also. And so often with the right master, they could have been better off than free men, right? Because at least they were guaranteed 
some of the necessities of right of life, right? Food, clothing, shelter, those things were all just guaranteed as part of being a slave. Of course, you had very bad slave masters. Um, and then even in AD 20, they began to acquire some legal rights. And so things were looking up, but things still weren't great, right? We're still talking about slavery here. And I said that 500,000 slaves were freed during that time period, right? That's great. But also because of that, fear was, or Rome was in great fear of slavery revolt, right? And because of that, they actually dealt very harshly with slaves. An old proverb said, you have as many slave, or enemies as slaves. That was kind of the idea there, right? So things were kind of going well, but still, They were scared, they would deal harshly with slaves, and they were still just property in the end to the Roman citizens. I even read of a story of of a woman who crucified a slave just because she could, just for her own good pleasure is what she said. And that was perfectly legal according to Rome. So when you think about the story of Philemon, right? Onesimus is going back to Philemon, and he is at the complete mercy of Philemon. Philemon could do anything he wanted to him there, with him. So for Onesimus, you know, slaves were killed for far less than what he did. He was a runaway, and also he's likely a thief, as we see in verse 23, I believe. In verse 12, Paul says it's hard for him, right? He says, I am sending, and this is Philemon, verse 12, he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That's how much he loved Onesimus. It was like sending his very heart. But as hard as it was for Paul, this was even harder for Onesimus, who was wondering if he would be killed for returning to his his master. With that, we have to... Obviously, Philemon's a lot about slavery, a slave and his master. And what does the Bible say about slavery? We kind of have to talk about that. Slavery in the Bible. So it never actually directly attacks slavery. And I like what Lightfoot says here about this. He says, instead of attacking special abuses, it lays down universal principles which shall undermine evil. Right? Right? So he never directly attacks it, but we can clearly see through the Bible that this was not something that the Apostle Paul would have endorsed. It's not that he wanted people to be slaves, right? So in slave, when you look at slavery, you could look at Colossians 4.1, which says, Masters, treat your bondservants or slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Right? He's reminding them of who the true master is over all, the one who is sovereign. And to him, there is no distinction between master and slave. There is just all one under Christ, which we can also see in Galatians 3, 28, which says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you think about that verse, that would have been impactful for a Roman citizen hearing that. They would have gotten mad. They're like, no, slaves are the lowest of the low. I'm not like a slave, right? But to God, there is none, neither slave nor free man, male or female. You are all one under Christ. So he's laying down those universal principles, right? He's not directly saying it, but he is laying down that foundation saying you are all one under Christ. 
And I like what Lightfoot goes on to say. Goes on to say, he says, the words emancipation seem to be trembling on his lips, and yet he does not utter it. And that's kind of what we see um, in a lot of the scriptures, but even in Philemon especially. When I say the Bible doesn't directly attack slavery, we have to ask the question, why doesn't it directly combat it? There's really one major reason. This would have been, this would have um, caused a major revolt in, in with the slaves. They would have been revolting against the Roman nation, which would have been smashed by the Romans. They would have not liked that at all. They were already terrified of slaves. That's why they dealt harshly with them. So they would have smashed them, and this would have resulted in a massive killing of thousands and thousands of slaves. Right? If they couldn't control them, they'd just kill them. That's how it would have gone. So they couldn't just have just said it. Don't have slaves. This would have undermined the gospel too, right? Turning the apostles into social justice leaders, revolting against slavery instead of sharing the gospel, which was their focus. Okay, they never lost sight of that. They were in of the gospel of Christ, and that's where they wanted to stick. Did they like it? No, but they had to stick with their goal. Although slavery was terrible, the apostles would have wanted to free all, uh, and free all, they would have wanted to free all people from it, but even more, they wanted people to be freed from their sin. That was their goal. We kind of have a pretty good understanding of slavery at the time, at least hopefully we do. And so now we brings us to the book, right? The book of Philemon. This is not a doctrinally heavy book. Instead, it is more an example of someone forgiving someone who needs forgiveness. This is a real-life situation here. And here's the scene, okay? We have the runaway slave named Onesimus coming to Philemon. Philemon would have been dumbfounded by this. Here his slave is just returning to him on his own free will. And he would have been even more dumbfounded when he sees Onesimus hand him a letter, and the letter is from Paul the Apostle, who he would have known. He was actually saved by, from Paul, or by Paul the by Paul. So other than Timothy and Titus, this is the only personal letter given to an individual, even though it's also kind of for the church, which we'll get into. Imagine his emotions, Philemon. Here he has his slave hand, er, handing him a letter by Paul. Imagine his anger of seeing Onesimus and also his anticipation of getting his letter, the excitement that would have been there, getting a letter from Paul the Apostle. And now he's opening it and he's reading it. And this is what he says, right? And we already read it. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. So this is a greeting, verses 1 through 4, or 1 through 3. Pretty typical within the books. We see them a lot. Um, And notice Paul's wording here. Paul, a prisoner for Christ, right? Who is he a prisoner for? He's under Rome, he's a prisoner in Rome, and yet he is a prisoner for Christ. He still has a good outlook on life. Because it was because, it was for Christ's sake that he was in prison, therefore he is a prisoner for Christ. And you kind of think, I was thinking about this the other day, and you think both Onesimus and Paul were kind of prisoners in their own little way, right? Onesimus to Philemon, he was a slave to him. And Paul is here in prison saying, I am a prisoner for Christ. 
they kind of had an understanding there, right? And then he also mentions Timothy, our brother, and it's just to take note that he's not, Timothy is not a co-author. Rather, this is Paul kind of gearing Timothy to be a leader of the church. So this is also the only time Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ. We see that a lot through his letters. In Ephesians, we see it a bunch. Um, Ephesians 3, 1, um, 4, 1, 6, 9 through 19 through 20. Um, but this is the only time he introduces himself. You normally think of Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or something like that. Um, so why does he do that, right? He's not, and he does that because rather than commanding Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he actually just appeals to Philemon. And so he doesn't want to use his apostolic authority um, rather, he just appeals to it. Because he realizes that forgiveness was not something that could be forced on Philemon. This is something that Philemon had to do on his own accord. So he appeals to him, and he does that through saying, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, because he feels like it's even unnecessary to use his apostolic authority. As we learn in verse 21, he says... I know Philemon will do even more than I say. He had a lot of confidence in what Philemon would do. He knew he would forgive Onesimus, and he would not only do that, he would do even more for Onesimus. So he also mentions quickly his family, Aphia, our sister, as Paul says, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. So Aphia was likely his wife. We're not 100% sure, but that seems like the most likely. And then also Archippus was his Son, his fellow soldier. Actually, in Colossians 4.17, we see Archippus come up. It says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So, Archippus was in ministry in some way, and he likely was working with Paul at some point in his life. So, his son was in ministry. And then we see the church, right? So Paul wanted the, this letter to be read out loud. So it is addressed to Philemon, and yet he also wants, obviously, to say hello to his wife, his son, and the church. And so why does he ever read to the church? And there's really two reasons for this. First of all, Paul has automatically made a group that will hold Philemon accountable, right? He has to read this to the church, um, it's the family to Timothy, who is, you know, kind of part of the letter in some way, at least knows of it, and to the church, right? But then also at the end, we see a bunch of other people. We see Timothy, uh, we see uh, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and even Luke. So all these people know about this letter. And so Philemon, right, it's an accountability thing. And so the second reason would be the church could see the importance of forgiveness, right? How often do you have such a wonderful um, situation that you can display forgiveness to others, right? Since Christ has forgiven you. So Philemon could be a beautiful example to them. And he was probably the leader of the church, so it's even more wonderful, right? His congregation or the people he's closest with get to see him forgive others. Or someone else. So it may have been written for Philemon, um, but it was meant for a lot of other people as well. Even today, we're learning about it. 
So, as we get into verses 4 through 7, we're going to point to six things that a faithful servant has to be able to effectively forgive people, right? What are the qualities you're looking for in someone who is going to forgive others, right? That's what Paul does here. He appeals to him. He says, look at you. I know of your character. I know how good you are. I know that you will forgive Onesimus because I have seen it, okay? And so the first thing we see is a love for the Lord, verses 4 through 5a. It says... I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So he says, I hear. And this is, again, the foundation for Philemon letting Onesimus go. Um, And Paul probably heard it from Epiphras. In verse 23, it mentions his name. Um, But in Colossians, we see that Epiphras was with um, Paul in prison. And Epiphras was probably most, uh, he was most likely um, Philemon's pastor or something like that, uh, minister there at his church. And so he knew Philemon well, right? And then he heads to Rome and he tells Paul, hey, look, Philemon's a great dude. He's going to do all these different things. This is his character. So Paul hears a lot of good things from Epiphras. And so he was living out his faith in love. It says, you have there. Um, and this is present tense and ongoing in Greek, right? You have now and you continue will. You continue. You will continue. There we go. You will continue to have this faith in love. So love comes through faith and faith is founded in Jesus Christ, right? I kind of like, it's Jesus, faith, love, and all the saints, right? You understand Jesus, you have faith in him. Because of that, you realize the love he has placed on you. Therefore, you can love him and others as well. So, Paul saw that he had this ongoing faith and love to the Lord and all the saints. So, he knew he understood what He knew Philemon understood what Jesus had done for him, that Christ had forgiven him, therefore he had love and faith. And knowing that, how could he not forgive Onesimus? So that's the first thing. He has a love for the Lord. But the second thing is a love for people. In verse 5a, right, it says all of the saints. And this love here is actually agape. Um, It's a love of will and choice and of self-sacrifice and humility. And we see love a lot in the scriptures, right? Even in the fruit of the spirits, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. So we see love as a common topic. And so he loved people, right? And this is something that can uh, is learned from God. Let's actually turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.9. First uh, Thessalonians four nine through ten, which says this: Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Right? Did you get that? You have been taught by God. There is no need to learn it, right? But we could also see this um, in Romans. So if you go to Romans 5.5. 5. 
Romans 5, 5, which says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, this is true love here. This is the love learned from God through the Holy Spirit. It has been poured into our hearts. And that's what Philemon has, right? Therefore, he has a love for the Lord and he has a love for people. This is the love that Philemon had. And therefore, Paul has confidence in him. That's why he just appeals to him. He appeals to his character to forgive Onesimus. So that's the first two, right? We have a love for the Lord and we have a love for the people. But what else does Philemon have? Well, he also has a love for fellowship. In 6a, we read, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So he says, I pray in the sharing of your faith, right? And actually, I like the NASB version, which says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith. And so this fellowship of sh- or sharing, it's uh, koinonia in Greek, um, and it is a mutual sharing of all life and could better, or I think better translated, a belonging. That's how we should understand it, right? So believers are belong, believers belong to each other. And that's a little bit different, right? Than I think we normally think when we think of fellowship or sharing, right? And this is something that the church deeply needs, right? You even think about the past few months. Why has it been so hard? Well, part of that is because the church hasn't had that fellowship that it deeply needs, that hopefully they love, as Philemon does. So, you know, fellowship is not just seeing someone after church for two minutes saying, hey, how are you, and goodbye, right? Fellowship, it's a belonging to each other, that you need each other in this life that you are unburdening yourself on someone else, trusting them, and they are doing the same for you. So I like what MacArthur says. He says, Real faith and love will inevitably result in a concern for fellowship. There is no place for individualism in the body of Christ. Because we all belong to each other. We are one body, right? We say that all the time. And we always say that, right? A hand needs the foot, the foot needs the face, and all that different things. It's because we need that fellowship. So when you forgive someone despite their offense, it shows that true fellowship you have with that person, that belonging to each other. So then we see a love of knowledge. Um... So the word knowledge here, it's a deep, rich, and full experiential knowledge. And I I like that experiential, right? Uh, you cannot experience forgiveness until you do it, right? You don't know the full extent of what it means to forgive someone until you forgive someone, right? So when you think about it that way, Philemon has a beautiful opportunity, Maybe he doesn't know what forgiveness is like, but now he gets to have that experiential knowledge of forgiveness, and he gets to show other people what that looks like. 
And I kind of thought about it. It's like fishing, right? I can read all about fishing, and I watch a bunch of videos all about fishing. Uh, and people can tell me what it's like to fish around here. But until I have a fish on the end of my line, I don't know what it is like to go fishing or to have a kit or to have a fish, right? And so far in Connecticut, I have a pretty good knowledge of fishing, not necessarily an experiential knowledge of fishing. It's bad when Amy starts calling me the casting master because all I do is cast. So it is with forgiveness, though, right? Knowing about it and doing it are actually two different things, and we need to know about it, and we need to know that we need to do it, but then we also need to do it, right? So now, again, Philemon has that wonderful opportunity. That's why I call it a wonderful opportunity to forgive someone. Uh, he gets to experience that. So that's the fourth thing, a knowledge, uh, a love of knowledge. The fifth thing is going to be a love to bring God glory. And this is so important, right? It's for the sake of Christ, as he says in the end of verse 6. Short, short little thing there, but it's important, right? When you think about 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's what you do all things. And I love that verse because... It's those are two of the most mundane things that you can think of, eating and drinking. You almost don't even think when you're doing it. And here he says, whether you're eating or drinking or anything you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And do we do that very often? Do you often think, will this, God, will this bring God glory when you make a decision? Or when you wake up in the morning? When you're eating and drinking, how often do you think, will this bring God glory? So everything we do in this world is for the glory of God. So that's the fifth thing. And then the sixth and final thing is a love to be a blessing, right? He says heart here in this verse. It says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And that hearts of the saints, that heart is splanka, and it actually translates to like um, bowels, so it is the innermost most depth of a person, you know, their bowels. And their, that, their innermost depth, has been refreshed, which is a military term, uh, meaning um, an army resting after a long day of traveling, of marching. So his innermost depths of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon. That's how good of character he had, a love for that. And he, again, he was doing this out of his love for them. So this, knowing that, that he has this love which is refreshing the saints, that brings Paul much joy and comfort, as you would, right? So, again, Philemon has shown much love and generosity to believers. Now is the time he must show that love and generosity to a specific believer, his runaway slave, Onesimus. So do you see what Paul is doing here, right? If I were to write this letter, which I'm definitely not Paul, um, but kind of like a modern-day thinking of this would be this. It would say, Philemon, you are a man of faith and love. You have a deep concern for God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that... uh, not only Jesus, but his people also. 
You understand the importance of fellowship with other believers and being a blessing to them during the good and bad times. And you fully grasp that we do all things for the glory of God. I mean, that's how, you know, it's not as good as Paul, but that's um, how I would write that, right? He's getting, he's, I don't want to say puffing him up, but he's helping him realize all the good characteristics that Philemon has that will help him make the decision to forgive Onesimus, which is what he asked him to do in the following verses, which we won't get to today. But in closing, you know, you think about Philemon, the book of Philemon, and Philemon himself. Have you ever wondered if your theology has practical applications? Because it should. What you know about God should translate how you live in this world. So for, for, for Philemon, it does, right? Paul's, that's what he's doing. He's saying, look, your theology is solid. You understand how you're supposed to live in this world, and not only do you understand it, but you are actually doing it as well. You are living out your faith. So he's clearly telling him he has a deep understanding of love and faith and for and Christ and his people, and again, he needs to apply it to a situation. Onesimus. So, in closing, can we, can these things be said about us? Right? That's what I was thinking about as I was studying this. Do people say, I have a concern for the Lord? A deep concern for it, for his people? Do, do I need fellowship? Is that important to me? How important is it to me? Can I feel like I belong to someone else, right? Another group of believers. Not only that, will I open myself up to other believers? There's a two-way street there, right? So do we need that fellowship? And do we do all things for the glory of God, right? How often do I consider what I'm doing in my life and how often do I consider if it brings God glory? So here's the thing, right? For Philemon, he's based, for Paul, he's pointing to Philemon saying, you have all you need. You have the characteristics. You're living out your faith. What you know about Christ will impact the way you make a decision, right? And for us, our you just think, are you the person you need to be? Do you have those characteristics to do the things God wants you to do? That's an important question we must ask ourselves, and I'm just going to close there. Uh, I'll close with prayer. So, Father, we just thank you that um, you have given us this small and yet very impactful book on forgiveness. Um, one that's not doctrinally heavy, yet is a beautiful example of someone forgiving someone else who deeply needs forgiveness. Um, and not only that, but a relationship will be made there, right? Not only forgiven, but they will then have a relationship as one under Christ, as brothers. Um, and we know that Philemon will eventually, or he did, even more than Paul said he would. And so we just thank you we pray that these things would impact our life as we walk out of here and that we would be thinking about how Christ has forgiven us and how much more we should, or how we know that and how that should impact the way we forgive others and live out our life. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.